Hello, my name is David Leet, and I'm the founder of the website Leet's Culinaria. And I'm Renee Shetler, the site's editor-in-chief. And this is a very special episode of Talking With My Mouthful, a podcast devoted to all things food, the people who make it, and the stories that make the people. And this episode is all about the story that makes the people. Renee? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I think like most of us, I am so dismayed by all the terrible news that's happening every day. It's beyond comprehension. I know. And you know what gets me the most or has remained with me the most is the murder of George Floyd about four months ago. Mm -hmm. And that kicked off a reckoning like we've never seen. And I'm older than you, so I've seen a lot more reckonings than you have, young lady. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) And this is for our listeners, regardless of what side you're on, whatever you believe, regardless of your color, your age, Democrat, Republican, Independent, you want to vote for a turkey, whatever. (laughs) We are all wounded by what's going on. And I think we're just really beginning to understand how wounded. At the beginning, I think there was an immediate shock and dismay. But Mm -hmm. as time goes on, I think we're understanding all the less obvious but still insidious ways that this culture, this society is damaged. Yeah, and and how... All this is affecting what's going on. I mean, there's more protests. There's more deaths due to social unrest. The rancor on all sides. And I know this probably sounds like, well, this has nothing to do with your little podcast, David and Renee, and nothing to do with food. But, you know, it actually does. All of this is so incredibly related. Yeah, it can't help but be interrelated. All of what you just said, along with coronavirus, of course, has just exponentially multiplied the plight of the food and drink world. Yeah, and the anger, the unrest, the justified outrage of the destruction has closed down all types of places, and some temporarily, some for good. But amid all the bad news, all the negative news, there's always some good news. But for T.J. Douglas, the owner of The Urban Grape, which is an award-winning wine, beer, and spirit store in Boston South End, the protests and destruction of a store proved a watershed moment. And it was a moment Shockingly for the better. It's really incredible what he's done. Mm. Our correspondent, Emily Shario, talked to TJ back in July. Okay, so to get started, give me a little bit of background on the Urban Grape. How did you get into this and why wine and spirits? Uh, So I started off as a young child, um, as a dishwasher, and through the years uh, worked my way up the ranks from dishwasher uh, up to busboy and, and waiter and bartender. And I really wanted to see and, and understand the people that I was serving out in the dining room, um, that lifestyle, uh, both from the service side and from the diner side. I moved to Boston in 2000 and I worked for a restaurant uh, group, a Todd English restaurant group. Uh, and then I ran uh, Armani Cafe on Newberry Street uh, for a few years, wrote a great wine program there. And then I worked for a distributor, so a wholesaler, and I was selling uh, wine to uh, to stores and restaurants and um, kind of being the only black person uh, in the industry at that time and unfortunately still kind of now. Uh, And then I really wanted to bring my hospitality background into retail. And so that's where the idea of the Urban Grape came up. So have you always been a wino or was this kind of a happy accident? 
So it's it came from the hospitality side. I loved service and serving and, you know, the instant gratification of making someone smile at the table. Wine really started in, in, in two ways. One, um, Hadley and I had been together for almost 20 years. And when I met her, uh, she was the wine drinker and uh, I was a bar manager. And when I was opening up uh, a Todd English restaurant as a bar manager, we were supposed to get a full liquor license. But the day before, we found out that we were going to get a beer, wine and cordial license, which then forced me to learn about wine. Um, but the moment that I started learning about wine and tasting wine and selling wine and pairing wine with food, uh, I really got excited about it. And I ended up taking this uh, this course called the Elizabeth Bishop course at Boston University. And that just took took me right off with my my love of wine, my love of wine history, um, the education side of wine, the teaching of it. And um, ever since then, I've you know, I'm, I'm going to drink wine right after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, given the pandemic, this has obviously been a very complicated and difficult time for the restaurant industry and small business owners. How has the Urban Grape been impacted? We ended up closing our doors to the public uh, mid-March. And, uh, you know, we tried uh, a week or so of having people come in, distancing, not touching bottles. But um, some people were careless and didn't want to wear masks and stuff. So we ended up um, closing our doors uh, to the public. And it's just myself and my staff in there. And, um, you know, we've moved all of our tastings that we do on Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays uh, to virtual tastings. They're called Clink Progressively now. But having the store closed to the public, it allowed us to really push ourselves in the logistics of delivery, um, bringing back the the same level of customer service and customer engagement that we love um, with with our with our people coming into the store and having a dialogue with us, we now can do that in real time over text. Um, and then we we really uh, pushed us to up our our online store and our game on that end. So at this specific moment, are your doors still closed? Yeah. We've been extremely transparent with with our community, with our uh, with our customers, our community about what we're doing and how we're doing it, and most importantly, why we're doing. It. You know, it's like we want to keep everyone safe. Right, of course. So while the urban grape has weathered the pandemic pretty well, it, it was subject to damage during the looting that took place following the protests against police brutality in Boston back in May. Can you walk me through that night? What was running through your mind? Well, one, you know, for Black Lives Matter, for the for the protest, we're all about the peaceful protest. Right. And that's exactly it's exactly what they were. They're were, they were peaceful protests. What we saw after everyone went home, you know, um, were the people just taking advantage of police being on one side of the city and, you know, these people being on the other side of the city. And we were watching the news. Hadley and I, were, we live in JP. Uh, Hadley and I were both sitting on the couch just watching, you know, the protests and getting really emotional on a positive way. It's like, look at all of these people out here supporting Black Lives Matter. movement, Right. Like, it's just it's absolutely amazing. And then, you know, post nine o'clock, nine thirty, ten o'clock into 12 o'clock and one o'clock, we're watching and around the corner. You know, they're not the protesters walking down the street, you know, breaking into stores. They were just, you know, people breaking into stores that had, they were not the people marching. They were not the people 
holding up signs, you know, looking for, you know, equality. We're sitting there watching and we were we were nervous. And, you know, they're around the corner at like Neiman Marcus, which was, I don't know, maybe a thousand feet from the store. And we're getting nervous and like, you know what? If anything happens, it's just stuff. We have insurance. We're in a building. We can buy more wine. You know, our customers are safe. We're home safe. And that's really what was the overpowering thought um, in our mind was not about really the urban grape. It was about our community and also, you know, yes, the opportunity for people to, you know, take advantage of police being on one side of the city. But another thing is like people were, you know, breaking into buildings and taking stuff just from pent up anger. You know, it's like, well, you know what? This is how I've been treated my whole life. This is what I'm going to I'm going to take, you know. And when our window or one of three windows in our front, only one was actually broken. When that was broken by some kids, I watched the security camera at two thirty in the morning. So almost six hours after the peaceful protest ended, they came in. They didn't walk into the store where the wine was. They went straight for their cash registers with a sledgehammer, smashed those off, broke, you know, took them outside, were in the store for a couple minutes, went back to the office, took two empty locked cash registers. Think about it. We've we've had our doors closed for two months and we're not a cash business. So they they took a sledgehammer, broke the window, left. Half of an hour later at three o'clock in the morning, two other kids, and I'm talking maybe 21 year olds, 18, 19, they come in, they kind of look around, they see that there's no cash registers. They took two cheap bottles of whiskey and a bottle of Moscato and a bottle of Lambrusco. And then they walked out. The thing is, I didn't know any of that until we woke up the next morning and Hadley shows a picture to me on her phone of the of a neighbor across the street of our window broken. And so again, just like, you know what? We got we got vandalized and whatever happened, happened. It's okay. It's just stuff. I'm safe. No one was in the store. They're safe. And when I ended up getting there, um, you know, I went in and there must have been a guardian angel looking over to us because, I don't know, $150 worth of product was stolen. You know, they smashed up the our custom countertop, whatever, insurance, right? It's fine. Um, what we did get out of this, though, you know, Hadley has always said over the years, you're like, you know, you're so optimistic and so positive sometimes. She's like, sometimes it just kills me. You're so positive. We found this amazing, amazing artist. And he ended up doing a mural uh, on the plywood that covered up our window. And it was broken glass with hearts coming through it. And on the side and graffiti, it says community. Right. And and that's how we run Irving Grape. And our mission statement that we wrote 11 years ago, it says that we want to help build community through beverage. You know, we can use our platform of being one of the top wine stores in the country um, and huge social media presence to say, like, look, look what came out of this. Yeah, broken window, whatever. Right. It's a window. It's not a life. Right. The, the broken window and the glass and the damage has nothing, it cannot even compete to a, a, someone's life being taken. And this kid actually is blowing up, right? So here's this opportunity. Some people broke in 
took an opportunity to, t- to steal cash. The opportunity that was made out of there was this young artist, you know, who now has thousands and thousands of followers and is being featured comes out of this. What do we get out of this? We were able to be featured in the New York Times, right? Because what this has happened now and, and being on, on this podcast, what's happened now, maybe it took a broken window, at least in, 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 in our small world of Boston and in the South End, it took a broken window to amplify my voice. My voice has always been here, but now it's amplified. You're absolutely right. I mean, it took a broken window, but that broken window was able to amplify not only your voice, but that young artist's voice. It amplified several black voices. I think another interesting piece of the story is that, of course, when all of this is happening, you head down to the store to assess the damage, and you end up setting off the security alarm. And we all know, being a black man in America, walking into a storefront with broken glass can get you hurt or killed. What was going through your mind in that moment? It was such a different thought because as a almost 42 year old black man, there are certain things that I that I do a certain way so that I don't get injured or hurt or killed. And it's just, you know, unfortunately, it's in it's in my DNA. Right. There are certain things uh, that 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 I that I don't do or that I do to make others feel more comfortable. Right. If I'm in an elevator and there's someone who's not a person of color in there, you know, I make sure that, you know, I'm on my phone and they, you know, see my coffee cup and, you know, and that, you know, I, I show that, you know, I have my Urban Greek t-shirt on just to hopefully for that, you know, 15 second elevator ride, I make them feel safe, you know? And I think that's also why I, I really enjoy the hospitality business, right? I, I like making people feel comfortable, right? And so there are things that I do, right? If I, you've read this a million times now, a black man gets pulled over. We do certain things that a white woman wouldn't do or a white man wouldn't do just because of what's always happened. So when I go into a store, my store, and I'm wearing, you know, my, my Nikes and my camel carver shorts and my, my blame it on the juice urban grape t-shirt, I walk in, I turn the alarm off. I immediately turn all the lights on. I put my wallet in my pants. I take it out of my, my backpack and I put it in my pants. I have my phone on me because I'm like, okay, when the police officers come, I need to be ready. Right. But, but all of that is like this. Oh, alarm's in. I'm going to my store. Boom. Done. I know what I'm doing. Right. Where my wife is begging the woman on the security phone, on the security line, please don't call the police. Please don't call the police. And she's like, ma'am, you know, I have to. You don't know the password. Like, I deal with all this stuff. She doesn't know the password to our security system. But with, with, with that being happening and the fact that I walked in right at the right moment and turned off the keypad, right? Turned off the keypad and, then, you know, did all my stuff. And she goes, oh, you know, Miss, you know, Mrs. Douglas, the, you know, the, the, the alarm just got turned off by the keypad. So it looks like your husband's there. And then I believe the woman said something along the lines of like, you know, you know, ma'am, I'm, I'm so sorry that I put you through that, you know? And like the fact that the woman on the other line got choked up because of the fear in my wife's voice that she might not ever be able to see me again. Right. And 
And again, for her, that was a split decision, right? And a, and a split moment in time. And for me, and for most other men of color, I'm assuming, um, this is how we live. Right. And like you said, even though you weren't consciously thinking of these things in the moment, it's the fact that you subconsciously knew what to do in that situation that's so revealing of how pervasive systemic racism is. You know, something that I've seen is that many of these lootings following the protests are coming at a moment where restaurants and businesses in this country that have been that have been hurt by this pandemic are starting to reopen. And in some cases, we see business owners like you who say windows aren't lives. But in other cases, there are people who want to support this movement, but see their windows being smashed and they don't have the money to repair them. So I guess my question is, how does one as a business owner support this movement, but also believe that their business can't be damaged because that's their life? How can those two things coexist? As a business owner who also supports BLM, don't live in fear. You know, make yourself heard, amplify your voice, support your community around you so that if hours after a peaceful protest in your neighborhood happens, maybe people not from your neighborhood won't even come there. Like, think about it. These people weren't from Boston that were breaking in Neiman Marcus. These were cars coming in from the tunnel. These people don't live in Boston. Being a business owner, supporting the movement is one thing. Being a consumer, especially a consumer within your own community, supporting your businesses, your community, uh, black, brown businesses, small businesses that are not black or brown owned, all businesses. If you get that community strong, I think you have nothing to fear. I feel that there are so many really good people in this world. Some of them now realize that black lives matter and great for them. Good for us. We have to keep the conversation going and we have to get keep the support going. So as a business owner, open up you know, when you can, when it's when it's safe by way of COVID. Right. Um, as a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, support, go on Zooms, talk to your friends, have those, you know, we're calling them like the uncomfortable conversations. I think having a constant conversation is going to keep more people safe, especially the people that we're marching for, which are black people. And so what has the Urban Grape done or has already been doing to support this movement? You know, we've we've been charitable in terms of financially. We've donated. We have used our social media platform to amplify all black voices that that are in our network. And then another thing that we've done with the Urban Grape and what Hadley and I have done to really support the Black Lives Matters movement, but as well as brown and black people starting here in Boston is starting the Urban Grape Wine Studies Award for students of color. So we're so excited about this. This is a wine study award. It's an education backed, but also an internship, a paid internship and mentorship program on the retail, the restaurant, and then the wholesale distribution. What this will do, it will give greater access and a bigger network to brown and black people that are already in the hospitality and wine industry. 
and it would give them free tuition for the Elizabeth Bishop Wine School um, program, which is at Boston University, which is the education program that I went through. But what it's also going to do, it's also going to give brown and black people that didn't know that a wine career could be for them the opportunity to apply and get this award and hopefully change their life, right? I mean, for I've been in this for 20 plus years now, 20 years just in Boston. And even to this day, you know, I'm one of the only black people in the room. And I'm talking about a room filled with winemakers, a room filled with wine buyers, a room filled with restaurateurs, uh, a room filled with consumers. And so if I can get more black people into the wine industry in Boston, and we can really have proof of concept for what we want to do for the for the Wine Studies Award. What we want to do is turn this into a 501c3, a true foundation, and then take it on the national level and then do this in other major cities and then hopefully start some wine programs where they might not exist now in uh, historically black colleges and universities. This will be a generational change. But the thing is, though, this is going to happen in September. You know, this isn't something like, okay, let's plan this and it's going to be seven years down the road. No, there's going to be a person of color in the wine studies program in September and have these people work on all sides of the business and then come out with this ridiculous network and this amazing opportunity in education and be like, you know what, where do I want to work? And then let me be a mentor for the other three students that are coming up. I think that's huge support, not just for the Black Lives Matter movement, but for people of color and the industry that I love, which is the wine and hospitality industry. But we're but we're starting home. Right. This is going to this is an organic, like homegrown project that we've started that we're pretty excited to, to have. TJ, this is amazing. I mean, we all know how white the wine industry is. So the fact that you're creating this avenue for young people of color to break into this industry, this is the kind of stuff that's actually going to have a long-term impact. I've been seeing a lot of other small businesses and restaurants do small fundraisers or make one-time donations to organizations supporting this movement, but what you're doing, it's clearly not a one-off. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I'm glad you said that. It's definitely not a one-off for us. Um, for others in the industry, we haven't really seen a lot of support. You know, one day they put a you know black square on their Instagram feed, but that was kind of it. And I I know uh, and I truly believe that so many people, because it is such a white industry, that a lot of people are just waiting for this to kind of like blow over. You know, what we are trying to create with this program, this award is access so that this access becomes normal. I want more people to start foundations around the country, around the globe. You know, I want us to have a spotlight on us so that we can motivate others to do this. This is our march. So TJ, I have one more question for you. Throughout these last few months where we've had a global pandemic intersect with a modern civil rights movement, What's the biggest lesson that you've learned? This has been, I'd say, the most in- intense period of time of my 10-year career as a wine shop owner. Really, the last you know four or five months, six months now, actually going into six months with, with COVID and then 
BLM. And it's really made me dig deep inside and really think about who I am. And you know, I'm, I'm on Zooms talking about this every single day now, right? And, and it's great because the more that I can talk about it, the more people will listen and, and hear. And, um, you know, I think you, if, you, if you listen to it and hear something enough or do something enough, it becomes habit. And so I, I hope that seeing that a black man like me can be, can be a great dad, can be a successful business owner, just like anyone else. I think that's very important, but it's also really important to me because I feel that I've had to work harder to be where I have got. But here's the kicker to it. I actually don't know what opportunities I missed because of the color of my skin. I have no idea. You have no, you have no idea the opportunities that, that, that you have missed because of something that you are or are not unless someone tells you to your face. And what we've learned about systemic racism is a lot of people don't tell you to your face. So talking about or share, sharing my feelings, you know, usually I'm going to push it way down. And, but talking about my feelings, I feel like, you know, what better time than now, right? This is my opportunity, right? I have to do this for people like me. I have to do this for my children. I have to do this for my wife. I have to do this for you. I have to do this to your listeners. Out of all of this, good will come out of this. And I, I, I really hope, um, at least in, in you know, the certain states, that, that people take this seriously and it's not just um, a one-off, that this becomes habit, that we understand that Black lives matter, you know, that we should have the same opportunity for equity um, in our world um, as people that are not brown and black. We as a company, we as a family are, are happy and thankful for the opportunity that we're able to share our voice, share our thoughts, and to amplify as much as possible. Emily, thank you. I'm, I'm almost without words. Just at the touching humanness that he shows and the compassion he could have just gone into anger and blame. Yeah. And look what he turned it into instead. That was an amazing piece, Emily, and he's an amazing guy. Absolutely. He capitalized on this opportunity to amplify other black voices and mm -hmm. his own voice was amplified during this. And I think in a way, like he said, it's just a broken window, but look at how much good came out of a broken window at the end of it. Emily, it's been two months since you've spoken to TJ. So any updates? You know, nothing too crazy. Uh, they're still taking online orders. They're having online wine tastings. I believe they're called oh, that's cool. Clink Progressively. Um, nice. So they've done a really nice job of maintaining relationships with their customers. Like we learned in the interview, the young man who created this mural kind of to replace the broken window at the storefront is now getting all of this press and is being interviewed by the New York Times and the local ABC station. That's great. And there have been two recipients chosen for the Wine Studies Award that we learned about. So, two, not one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was two women. Yes. And two black women. Yes, two women of color. And Excellent. as we all know, the... The wine industry, it's incredibly homogenous, it's incredibly white, it's incredibly male. And so 
you know, you're already going to have two women of color entering the Boston wine industry and really being able to kind of make these big decisions in this career path that a lot of these people didn't know existed for them. That's magnificent. It is. How is his family doing? As a black father, TJ has obviously had to have these difficult conversations with his two kids. I believe they're both 13 and 11. And sons. Yeah, two boys. And they're uncomfortable conversations to have. And it's deeply upsetting and frustrating that he even has to have these conversations in the first place. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, TJ, like he said, he is an incredibly optimistic man and Mm -hmm. is seeing this moment in time as a moment to enact change, tangible change, as we've seen with this Wine Studies Award, and to really see the good that comes out of these moments. Mm -hmm. But he and Hadley, uh, who's also the co-owner of the Urban Grape, and his two kids, they're doing great. (laughs) That's wonderful. And how can our listeners and how can we contribute and help what TJ is doing. Is he accepting donations for the Wine Studies Award for 2021? Uh, Yeah, so you can actually just go to theurbangrape.com and Mm -hmm. you can go to the tab that says Wine Studies Award and there is a link that says Donate Now where you can donate to it. Excellent. Terrific. Emily, thank you for some incredible reporting. We're very thankful for what you've done. Thanks for having me, guys. So appreciate it. Emily Shario is a Mouthful correspondent as well as a producer at WGBH in Boston, where she produces radio and digital broadcasts about the Boston community and beyond. Renee? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it feels right to list our weekly specials board. What do you think? For once, David, we're in complete agreement. We have enough food for thought here. Yeah, definitely. This podcast is produced by Overt Studios, and our producer is Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overt Studios at overtstudios.com. And remember to subscribe to Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us, consider leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Ciao. Ciao.